Welcome to Faith Church. I'm glad you're with us today. Those watching online, welcome. Uh, this is a bonus Sunday message, if you will, in our collection of sermons entitled Up in Smoke. And I uh, got, got a word kind of continuing on from kind of where we were at last Sunday, kind of picking it up again this week. Just to kind of recap, uh, last Sunday we said this. We said that when your hope goes up in smoke... That's when we need to encounter God's staying power in, in the fire. And uh, we, we looked at some scriptures like 1 Peter 1 verse 7 that says, These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. And, and we looked at Romans 15 verse 13 that says this. It says, I pray that God... The source of hope will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we talked a little bit about how suffering is an opportunity to strengthen our hope. And how persecution is an opportunity to purify our faith. So, so suffering is the opportunity to strengthen our hope, and persecution is this opportunity to really purify our faith so that it reflects the way God would want it to reflect. And these were the things that we kind of looked at last week, and I want to kind of dive and take it a, a, another step further and talk to you um, a little bit more in detail, some things that God was speaking to me two weeks ago as I was preparing to bring the message last week. I was out on a run on one of those beautiful days before all that crazy ice showed up. Um, I was out for a run, and the Lord just kind of was downloading some things to my heart um, along this line that really, I think, is going to bring an encouragement to you. So would you join me? Can we pray as uh, we, we get before the Lord in his word today? Lord, I pray that today that you would take the words that come out of my mouth and would your spirit echo and amplify them in our hearts. Holy Spirit, you're, you're the giver of life. You're the one who breathes life to the scripture and to these things. And So Lord, over the next few moments, would you give us ears to hear? Give us eyes to see, not through our own perspective or filter, but may we see through your truth. Lord, give us a heart to receive what you want to say to us today as we posture our hearts in a place to say, Lord, we want more of you, God. We want more of you, God. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Here's, the, here's the reality. Is I believe that hope is fueled by the picture that you and I have of God. In other words, hope will grow strong and clear when we have an accurate and clear picture of who God is and when we are fully aware of who God is not. When we have a clear and accurate understanding of who God is, then we begin to have a clear and an unshakable Hope. God is the source of our hope, and it is our picture, our filter, our viewpoint, our understanding of who God is that strengthens that in us. Hebrews tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. In other words, I like to liken it this way, that hope is the blueprint that you see before the house of faith is built in your life. What God wants to build and construct in you 
will only occur when you get an accurate blueprint and a picture of what that looks like. When we have an accurate picture of who God is in us, then we'll begin to have hope. And without hope, the Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. I really do believe that over this, um, well, let me say it this way. This might shock some of you. I'm not really in a hurry to get 2020 gone. Some of you are like, that's it, I'm out. I don't want any more of it. I saw something online this week that said, uh, I'm staying up on New Year's, not to ring in the New Year, but to make sure this one leaves, right? Like, like they were ready to see it go. And on, on one hand, guys, I really am. I'm ready for like all of this to be done for sure. But the reality is this. I believe that it's in this season that God is wanting to work in us and show us some things that if we don't get it now, If we don't do the work now in our heart, you'll get another opportunity later. That's not a statement of fear or a fact or a threatened by God. That's just the reality that says God cares that much about your heart. That he wants to make sure that it's in the right posture and place to prepare the right room for him in your life. Because he's all about your heart and he's all about a relationship with you. Hope is fueled by this picture of God that we have and and suffering and persecution and trials and setbacks and and things that don't work out the way that we want them to like so much has happened this year can cause us to get a distorted picture of God's goodness to where it is not clear that we see God's goodness. In fact, when these things, when hope starts to evaporate in our lives, when when it starts to fizzle out or fade out in our lives, what, what we begin to do is just start blaming We blame God, we blame our spouse, we blame the school system, we blame uh, the government, we're we're blaming our boss, we're blaming our team, we're blaming the dog, and we absolutely should be blaming our cats. I'm just saying, like, we blaming somebody, right? Or, Or when we get into this moment where hope starts to evaporate, we really do burn out. We're at the end of ourselves, and we know we have no more fuel to move forward. We find ourselves in a place where where we begin to just get stuck in idol. Because hope has left us. The picture of God is unclear. His goodness seems to be murky at best. And we just get stuck in the same routines and struggles. and, And we just hit the same cycle. We go back to old patterns of addiction. We go back to old ways of thinking. We just are dealing with all of this again. Why? Because we're stuck. Or maybe we begin to ask the wrong questions, like, why God? God is not afraid of the why question. I just find that he doesn't answer it very often. Because I think it's the wrong question to ask God. It's not so much, why this, God, but rather, God, what are you doing in the midst of this? That's the better question. Where is your goodness being formed, God? And when we walk through suffering, when we walk through persecution, our picture of God can get distorted, but we have to ask the right question, God, what are you at work doing? Here's what I know. Maybe you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If you're not taking notes, grab out your phone and get ready to tweet it, because this will help some of you. God is always working to redeem your soul, reclaim your affection, and reveal his goodness to you. Let me say it again. God is always at work to redeem your soul, to reclaim your affection, and to reveal his 
goodness in your life. You know, I think that there are uh, three dynamics in our culture right now that are distorting the picture of God and causing us to live without hope. Three. Three, three dynamics that are at play in our world, especially here in America, especially here, that are at work that uh, I recently had heard a pastor talking about these things and, and something just kind of lit up on the inside of me. He's like, that's exactly what's happening. That's what the enemy is doing. That's, that's what's going on. And that's why we're not seeing God clearly. And because we're not seeing God clearly, we're not representing God to our communities well. And here, here are the three things that I think are at play. Number one is simply this. Everything is getting politicized. There is no such thing as a neutral anything anymore. Everything is getting politicized. Mostly for the wrong reasons. I mean, who would have thought that a piece of fabric not big enough to cover our private parts would be the subject of much debate? Now we're wearing it over our mouths and our faces. It used to be you would walk into a hospital and be like, oh, they're, really, they're being very cautious. This is good. All of a sudden now, everyone's an expert about this piece of cloth. Nothing is neutral. Nothing. Nothing is sacred and nothing is off limits. Everything is getting politicized. And I'm not telling you what to think about those things. I'm just telling you everything is getting politicized. I can make a statement about theology and all of a sudden it's going to go to politics. And all I'm doing is actually telling you what the Bible says. Everything is getting politicized. Number two, here's the other dynamic at work, is we have what's called a cancel culture. Cancel culture is where um, somebody says something or does something that you don't like or you disagree with. Therefore, you cancel them out. You, you, you now begin to disregard everything they've ever done or said. It's all garbage because they said one thing you don't like and likely don't agree with. Friends, cancel culture is not the kingdom's way. I said it last week, just because it's the American way doesn't mean that it is God's way. And they're not one and the same. And we live with this cancel culture where if I don't like what you say or I don't agree with it, then I'm throwing away everything you've ever said or done. We don't go to get context. We don't ask for understanding. We don't actually value the relationship. We're just like, now nah, I'm done with them. And we get offended. And cancel culture produces bitterness, offense, and resentment. And it happens within the church. It's happening within the church. Where people are saying things and doing things. They're like, oh, no, nope, forget it. It doesn't matter that my life has been changed. It doesn't matter how much that they've impacted my life. It doesn't matter the relationship that I have there. I'm done. I'm out. I'm not going back, and I'm taking my money with me. We just cancel it all rather than valuing the relationship and the community of God enough to find the context, to find the understanding, and perhaps wonder if maybe we're wrong, we just cancel it all together, and we allow bitterness and anger and angst to grow inside of us, and we wonder why we're not flourishing. It's not the kingdom way. But this, I, this, this, this cancel culture is a dynamic at play in our world. So everything is getting politicized. Cancel culture is live and well among us. And here's the third one. And this is the one that I, I'm really asking the Lord to continue to deliver me from. And it's not all the way gone. But I'm really working hard before the Lord saying, Lord, would you remove every trace of this in me? And here, here it is. It's, it's 
it's what, what's being called cultural war Christianity. Cultural war Christianity is a version, I would maybe go as far as to say a perversion, of Christianity that is consumed with winning and feeling like we are always under attack. It requires an enemy in order to perpetually sustain itself, and it lives in an us-versus-them mindset, always. It sets up the church actually to become a tool of politicians rather than be the conscience of a nation that speaks with a prophetic voice of truth. It is more concerned with other people losing than us loving them. And it it is rooted and birthed in fear. And primarily a fear of losing something. Uh, It doesn't take much. I, I... I don't know how many political ads you receive in the mail. I sure wish I had a dollar for every one I received, that's for sure. But if you will read those ads, if you will listen to the things running on the TV and on social media, every single one of them is from a perspective to manipulate you to do what they want you to do based on fear. Fear of losing something. You're going to lose your health insurance. You're going to lose your right to your guns. You're going to lose this. You're going to lose that. You're going to lose this. It is born and bred in a fear, and it is a cultural war, and we call it Christianity where we have to stand against it, and the gates of hell won't prevail, so we're going to take the fight to them. And we're more concerned with winning something and other people losing And we don't pray so much for them to fall in love with God and for us to have a relationship with God or for us to have a relationship with them. We're more consumed with them being proved wrong and us being proved right. Our motives are askew and it's motivated out of fear. And this is the one that has ran rampant in my heart for a lot of years. And these three dynamics of everything getting politicized, the cancel culture, And cultural war Christianity is distorting our picture of God. It's causing our hope to evaporate. And when our hope gets uncertain in our own hearts, our hope is not available to be a hope dealer to the community that we live in. And so the world around us who doesn't know God has no hope, no anchor, and no compass because we've lost our hope too. And where everything in us rises and falls with what happens over this next week politically. Friends, that's not the way of the kingdom. That's not God's best for your life. Nothing born out of fear is sustained by the faith of God. And when fear shows up in our life, we, do, we have two natural responses, don't we? We fight or we flight. We run. When God has called us to stand firm, having done all to stand, Ephesians says, stand. Stand firm in who God is. But if our picture of God starts to fade and we confuse or pervert or distort the picture of God, our hope goes with it. If hope is fueled by the picture of God, Can I ask you a question? What is fueling your picture of God? What is it that is fueling your picture of God? 
I, I was led to, and reminded of, of a, a section of verses here in 2 Timothy chapter 1. I want to go here for the next few minutes and unpack this together. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 5, Paul is writing to Timothy, his young protege. Timothy is a mature, strong, fully formed follower of Jesus. He is ministering and doing good and leading many churches and the people of God. And, 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 and Paul is so proud of who he is. And, and, and Paul is writing to Timothy, who's being a little discouraged because Timothy's hope is evaporating. It is going up in smoke. It's not quite the same as what it once was. And Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Listen to these words. It says, I remember, Timothy, your genuine faith. Friends, church, can I just tell you, I remember your genuine faith too. I remember before all of this 2020 happened, the fidelity of our faith, the genuineness of our faith, the purity. Before we let all of these other things begin to distort away our picture of God, I remember your genuine faith. For, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. Can I just say, I hope and I pray that we are always a church that believes in a multi-generational impact and influence and infusion of faith from the oldest to the youngest, from, from the womb to the tomb. May we be a people who believe in life. May we be a people who believe in imparting faith. May we be a people who re refuse to let our hope be shaken. And may we always invest in the generations to come. May we always be a, gener a family that passes down our faith from one generation to the next generation. That was a good place to say amen, but I'm going to keep preaching anyways. And I know that that same faith continues strong in you, not a shaky faith, not a wavy faith, not an uncertain faith, not a faith depending on what happens on November 4th. No, no, it is a faith that is continuing strong in you. This, this is why I remind you to fan into flames. Come on, somebody say flames. Let me see some fire emojis on the chat right now. Fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. There's something that gets imparted on the lay. There's something holy and special about laying on of hands. There's something special about at the end of the service when you know, man, there's something that you need, your hope is shattered, something you're facing, and you go to the prayer team over there at the prayer spot. There's something that happens when they lay their hands on you. They're not just doing it to make you feel comfortable. No, no. They are imparting the very spirit of God back into your life. They are in that moment stirring and fanning into flames of your faith that maybe has gone out and been snuffed out. There's something special of this. And he says, hey, listen, continue strong. Your faith needs to stay strong. Your faith needs to stay strong. Why? Why? Your faith needs to stay strong, Timothy. You need to hang in there. I know there's cultural pressures. I know there's a different way. I know other people are saying different things, but Timothy, I need you to fan into flames that which is in you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear is a lying, prophesying spirit. It's not just an emotion. 
There is a spirit of fear. It is a prophesying spirit that is trying to tell you what your future will look like, a void of God's presence and his promises coming true in your life. That's what fear does. It paints a picture. I hope you're getting this. Fear will paint a picture of what your life will look like with God's promises not coming true and with his presence not being real in your life. Think about the things that you're afraid of. I guarantee you those are things that are contrary to the promises of God and contrary to the peace of God that shows up when his presence is there. I guarantee it. Think back. What are the things you're afraid of the most? You'll find that they're a picture of your life void of the presence of God and the promises of God being true. That's what you'll find. Because fear is a lying, prophesying spirit. And I've come to expose it today. For God has not given you a spirit of fear and timidity or intimidation or insecurity, but a spirit of power. Come on, somebody flex. A power. Somebody say power. Come on, somebody say love and of self-discipline. I love how the New King James says that I was a little old school and of a sound mind, right? I'm teaching, when I teach my kids this verse, he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Hand motions make you memorize it. I'm just saying. You might take the pastor out of children's church, but you can't take the children's pastor out of me. It's stuck in there, friends. He's not given us fear, which distorts and erodes and corrupts our picture of God, but instead he's given us his spirit that brings power. It's his power, not your power. It's his healing power. It's his power to provide. It's his power to protect. It's his power to rescue, redeem, restore. It's his power that is close to the brokenhearted and the hurtful. It's his power that comes through in a purity in our lives that only shows up when we are refined through the trial. But it's his staying power that he gives us. It's his love. God is love. He can do no thing but to exist in love. And when we demonstrate our love towards our fellow man, when we prioritize the relationship instead of a cancel culture, when we choose to be radically hospitable to one another, and when we give forgiveness, refusing to take offense, it is that kind of love. That the world takes note of and says, oh, wait a second. There's something different about these Jesus people. They're not living in fear like the rest of us. No, they have a different spirit. God is love. You want to know what the opposite of fear is? Not faith. It's love. God is love. And perfect love casts out all fear. When you lose sight of the love of God, when the picture of God's love gets distorted in your life, fear shows up. When we lose sight of what it looks like for a country to be in love with God, fear shows up. When you lose sight of what it looks like for your family to walk in love, for a church to walk in love towards one another, fear shows up. But he didn't give us Fear or timidity, he gave us power, he gave us love, and he gave us this self-discipline, this ability to not uh, think. Uh, he gave us the ability to use our thinking part of our brain, not just the feeling part of our brain. 
He gave us the ability to hit, no, 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 I'm going to not hit send on that email. I'm going to hit delete and just let it be for a minute. I'm not going to fire back real fast on this thing. I'm going to edit that out, add a few friendly emojis so that my intention is seen, not just the words that they get to interpret. I'm going I'm to filter it out. I'm going to use a little self-discipline. And the reason why I like that the New King James says sound mind is because discipline always begins with a proper line of thinking. It's that thinking part of our brain that God has given this to us. He says, I, I haven't given you a spirit of fear but power, love, and a sound mind. And Timothy, that's what genuine faith looks like. And in case you forgot, it looks like what your grandma had and what your mama gave you. That's what that faith looks like. It's a picture. Faith feeds our picture of God, which feeds the hope that we have. God is in the middle, and on one side it's our hope, and on this side it's our faith. Faith feeds our picture of God, which feeds our hope. When we have hope, we have a clear picture of God, which allows our faith to be strong. I feel like I'm doing a, a little dance right here. I just need some music or something to like make this work all the way through, but I won't because that's embarrassing. <laughs> he says, I've given you this faith. And if your faith starts to flame out, your picture of God gets distorted. And when the picture of God gets distorted, your hope begins to disappear. And when your hope disappears within you, it disappears in the community in which you live. Are we tracking? Are we, are we good? Are you with me? Say amen. amen. Friends, faith is like a flame. It must be stirred or it fades out. We're in the fall, we're in the season of starting fires in the fireplace in your home, of like sitting around bonfire. This is the season. If you don't feed the fire, it will eventually go out, will it not? Friends, today I came to you, to our church, to our community. If you're a part of Faith Church at all, if this is kind of your space, or maybe you're just kind of checking it out wondering, I came to implore you, friends. It's time to put another log on the fire of your faith because we're in a place where if we're not careful, if we don't fan the flame, it's gonna go out. You are the keeper of your heart's passion. You are the keeper of your faith. If you don't feed it, it won't grow. You and I, we got to put another log on it. The faith is a flame that must be fed or it will go out. Hey, it reminds me of a, of a phrase and, you know, truth be told, I, I grew up in, a, in a, a Christian home. I grew up in Christendom, if you will. Uh, in the subculture of Christianity, there was only one chicken. It's the Christian chicken that we ate, Chick-fil-A, but they closed on Sunday. So I don't know what that's all about, but it's all right. Like, we grew up in a place where you wore the t-shirt, you had the songs, you knew the DC talk rap, you could jam out to some Carmen. I'm just saying, like, I could throw down on some stuff. And we had this phrase that we would say all the time, and the phrase was, goes something like this, I'm on fire for God, which is a little bit weird. Can we be honest for a minute? Like, that's just kind of like a weird like, what is this, like, some Fantastic Four remix for God? Like, I'm not sure what is happening. I'm on fire for God. But we as Christians have had lots of weird sayings. We say things like hedge of protection. Like, I guess God is a really big gardener, and, like, we have hedges all around us. We say things like, I'm washed in the blood, brother. That's a little weird. <laughs> right? Like, 
Like, if you're new to following Jesus and we're like, we're all washed in the blood, everybody's like looking around like, I, I ain't got blood on, on, on me. Just some weird things that, that we say. If I ever were to say, I'm going to preach a message on having a circumcised heart, there would be no men showing up. <laughs> like, ain't nobody showing up for that one. Like, these are just some weird things that we say. And they all mean something and they have their place for sure. But we have this one, I'm on fire for God. And I think it comes maybe from this place where we talk about fanning into flames the faith in us. It's not a phrase that I, I typically use when I talk about my relationship with God, per se. But it is one that we have. And what we're trying to say is that we have a passion that is burning for God and God alone. Everything else kind of pales in comparison to being with God. In other words, we're, we're acknowledging this saying that there is a, a passion in us for who God is that we want it just to continue to grow. But Romans 12, 11 says this, never, somebody say never, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Psalm 69.9 says, it is zeal for your house that consumes me. And the insults of those who insult you have now fallen on me. Zeal is simply this. It is fervor for a person, a cause, or object. It's eager desire or endeavor. It's enthusiastic diligence. It's ardor. Zeal. The writers in scripture say it's not zeal for anything else. It's, it's zeal for you, Lord. That's what consumes me. Zeal is what consumes us. Now, this is going to sound really simple, but I want you to catch it. What we are consumed by is what we consume the most. Let me say it another way. Zeal is a flame that must be fueled and fanned. Zeal is fueled by whatever you feed it the most. In other words, whatever you feed yourself the most is what you will be zealous for. What are you zealous for? Because that's what you're feeding yourself. Zeal for blank consumes me. Zeal for Fortnite consumes me, Lord. Zeal for fear that's consuming me right now. Zeal for being right, that's what consumes me. If you'd be honest and ask yourself, what is it that is consuming me and what am I consuming the most? Zeal for winning at all costs, that's what consumes me. Zeal for fitness consumes me. Zeal for alcohol, zeal for those prescription medications, zeal for my sexuality, or is it zeal for God's house, his people, his presence, his purposes, is that what's consuming you? Because whatever you feed yourself the most is what you're zealous for. You can't fake zeal. It's going to show up naturally. And whatever you are feeding yourself, that is, some of us are zealous for politics because that is all we are feeding ourselves. Or it is most of what we feed ourselves. But some of us, it's money. We're zealous for it. We're after success, we're after this, we're after that. It, it's zeal for getting the good grades so that we win our parents' approval and we stay off uh, restriction in our home. It's zeal for not getting in trouble. That's what consumes me the most. So I'm doing any and everything not to get in trouble. Really? 
What is it that consumes you? Because you are being consumed by something. And the writers of scripture says it should be zeal for God's house that consumes us. Zeal for his presence. Zeal for his purposes. Zeal for the family of God. I want to be zealous for that. So that's what I'm going to feed myself the most. Friends, I wonder if during this extended season of COVID-19, what started as a strong commitment to all gather online because that's the only place we could go, I wonder if some of us have slipped away and our fidelity of faith isn't quite as strong and the flame for God has begun to dim out simply because we haven't been feeding it the right way. We stop serving other people, we stop giving, we stop praying, we, we stop the, the practices of our spiritual life, we stop gathering together and it began to fade this flame in our hearts. But Paul would encourage us today, you've got to fan that flame. You've got to stir that flame. And so what started as a priority of everybody getting dressed, being on the couch, we're all watching service together, turned quickly into, I'll still be in my PJs, eating my, eating my lucky charms while preaching until the preaching comes on, and then I'll grab my notes, turned into, I'm going to do the dishes and clean the house while the message is playing in the background, and I might catch it later, and I might not catch it later. Maybe it's simply I found other priorities or I've been offended or I've been this and I've been that. And zeal for the Lord's house, zeal for my own faith, zeal for my own passion for God has faded fast. And today I'm issuing the same call that God gave to the church in Ephesus when he says, would you return back to your first love? Now, friends, let me be really, really clear. I'm not preaching this message because we don't have enough people coming to church and we need to get our numbers up and we need to do this and that and we're hurting financially. No, 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 no. Friends, it is never my desire to ever preach from a posture of need. I always want to preach from a posture of giving you vision and prophetically declaring what God has said to us. You won't really hear us begging you for anything ever. So help me, Lord. That's not our heart. Statistically, our church is well above the averages of other churches in America right now. I'm not even worried. But what I am worried about is that you've lost your hope because your picture of God has grown dim and it's been polluted, polluted and you've lost sight of who God really is, that he's trying to redeem something, reclaim something, restore something in you. And that has only happened because your faith has become shaken and it's not a flame that you're stirring up anymore. Because the fire of your faith has started, it is on its last ember. And you need to stir it up. This is a call to stir it back up. Friends, the fidelity of our faith's flame can indeed fade if we don't stir it. Now, I realize it's true. It's true that, uh, how can I say this? Let me give you this example. While it is true that 100% of marital infidelity, or let me say it this way, while it is true that flirting with somebody who is not your spouse doesn't guarantee 100% of the time that you're going to commit marital infidelity. That 100% of the time where marital infidelity does occur, it started with flirting. Similarly, it's true that skidding church involvement doesn't 100% of the time mean that your faith is fading. But friends, 
where people have flamed out in their faith, where they have walked away, where they've given up, where hope goes away 100% of the time, church involvement was on the decline at some point. I'm not saying if all you'll do is show up to church, then you'll have a strong faith. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that there is a commitment and a fidelity of doing the little things right consistently. That every Sunday there's something where we get together and stir each other up towards good works. We get to gather together and stir each other's faith up. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Hear the word preached simultaneously and allow it to pierce our hearts. Emblaze us with the spirit of passion and say, God, set a new fire in my soul, Lord. I'm not saying if you don't come to church, you must not love God. That's not what I'm saying. Don't hear that. But do hear your faith is a flame that if you don't stir it up, it tends to start going out. And when your faith goes out, your picture of God gets distorted. And when your picture of God gets distorted, your hope begins to evaporate. And hope lost becomes a heart that's sick. Like fire needs fuel and heat and oxygen to burn. Your faith in God is fueled by scripture. It's heated up by your prayers. It's breathed on by the presence of the spirit in our worship. These are the components of a fire. Needs fuel, needs heat, needs needs oxygen. The same is true of your faith. Luke 10, 27, Jesus said it like this. You want to have a a fidelity of your faith? A strong faith? If you want to develop a faith like Timothy had, that his mom had, that his grandma had, that Paul was writing, that he's encouraging us, that God, the source of hope, would fill us with this kind of faith that never runs out, that we stir up again and again. Jesus said it like this in Luke 10, 27. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's your worship. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. That's your prayer. Love the Lord with all your strength. That's your application and practice. Love him with all your mind. That's understanding scripture. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's serving other people. These five things, worship, prayer, the word, practicing our faith in our daily lives and serving other people. This is what fidelity of faith looks like. These five areas are what we need to make sure we are stirring up again and again and again. These are the things that we want the Spirit to breathe on and say, Lord, would you burn these again in me? Friends, I wonder if your your faith has begun to flame out. I wonder if you'd be honest enough to say, my faith, the fire, it's, it's about out, Pastor. My hope, it's all over the place. And my picture of God, ugh. It's not there. I heard Pastor Craig Rochelle say it like this in relationship to marriage. He says, if you want what you once had, you have to do what you once did. If you want passion to return in your marriage, you've got to do what you once did to get what you once had. Friends, if you want that passion for Jesus, that 
That moment where you know he's touching you, where you know he's present with you, that moment where you know that you can't go anywhere to hide from his presence and there's nothing you can do to erase his love. When, when you need to know, when that faith needs to be fanned into flame again, you've got to do what you once did. You can't keep doing the same thing expecting things to change. We can't keep living with the same mindsets of politicizing everything, canceling culture, and living with this cultural war version of Christianity. We've got to live with a different spirit. We can't live ruled by a spirit of fear, but we need to walk in his power. We need to demonstrate his love, and we need to renew our minds so that it is sound and we live out a disciplined life. We need to fan into flames the fidelity of our faith so that anything that gets shaken would be shaken. But the one thing that remains unshaken is our hope. It's our faith in God. It's our knowing that, man, God, you who began a good work, faithful to complete it. I was thinking this, this week about fire, flames, how things burn, and, and I was reminded of how important it is to be together in worship. Whether in the building or you're at home, invite people to your house and worship with them there. Be a part of a connect group. How important it is to be together. Because we, we feed off each other. And I was thinking about this need for the people of God and the community of God and how there's something special about coming to the Lord's table all together where we remind ourselves of his body that was broken and his blood that was poured out and we remind ourselves that we've received forgiveness and what we have received freely, we need to give freely to the people around us. That Jesus on the cross died, buried, resurrected is the picture of the victorious life that he wants for all of us. That when we die to ourselves and die to our sins, be buried in who Christ is, that we are raised in new life to live a different life world around us. I was thinking about all these things and it led me to, to be reminded of charcoal called charcoal burns. It's true you could take a single briquette and light it on fire and tend it and it would eventually burn. But if you really want to cook something good you need more than one briquette. If you really want it to burn white hot you need more than one briquette. You need them you need more than two, you need more. You need to stack a bunch of them together, get them together in close proximity to each other, light them on fire and allow the heat of one to feed the heat of the other. And the longer it burns, the better it will cook something for you. Friends, when we gather together and we come to the Lord's table, the flame in me feeds the flame in you. The passion in you feeds the passion of the person next to you. We, we feed off each other and there's something burns in us and around us that cooks us and thoroughly cooks something for the world to taste and see that God is, he's good, he's good, he's good. As we get ready to come to the Lord's table, I want you to, Grab the elements in your hands and I want you to close your eyes for a minute. And I want you to get a clear picture of Jesus this morning. What he did for you and what he did for me. 
And I want you to meditate just for a minute on what he did. Why? Because that's the picture of his goodness. When your picture of God begins to fade out and hope begins to go with it, you need to remind yourself of his goodness towards you. That you and I, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can we just pause for a minute and meditate on that? Get a clear picture of Jesus in your mind. What he's done for us, because that's a picture of his goodness. Father, as we come to your table and take the bread and the juice, I pray that you would renew and restore the picture that we have of your goodness, which fuels our hope. Lord, would you set a fire down in our soul that we can't contain, that we can't control? Father, our prayer today is more of you, less of us. More of your power, less of the world's fear. More of your love, less of the world's hate. More of a renewed mind, not a polluted picture. Lord, we commit these things to you and ourselves to you and ask, Lord, that you would fill us fresh and new right now. In Jesus' name, go ahead and take the bread together. And when you're ready, the juice. Would you just put your hands out before the Lord and just say, Lord, more of you this week. Would you stir the flame in me, Lord? Would you fill us new and fresh? May the fidelity of our faith not be shaken or the flame not go out as we feed and we feast at your table, on your word, among your people. Lord, set a fire in our souls. May we fan it into flames this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I pray that today's sermon has been encouraging and life-giving. I know it has been for me. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today, please text the word LIFE to 620-604-9280. We want to celebrate with you and share some resources to help build your relationship with Jesus. If you're in service and would like prayer for anything, please come to the prayer spot. We are ready to pray with you. When you're ready for a midweek pick-me-up, today's messages and past messages are always available for you to listen on demand on the Central Hub at faithchurchks.org. Also, just a couple of reminders. Ready to serve or take a next step? Visit the Central Hub for more information. RSVP for Growth Track on the Central Hub and share a pic of today's service on social and tag us. Friends and family, it's been so good being together with you this morning. I pray you experience the ever faithful love and wisdom of God as you go through this week. See you next Sunday.